Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our residents is to lay down a fundamental understanding of a geeky concept for a newcomer before sending them on their way into the wild world of nerdery. Our subject this time around is curious about magic in the DC universe. I was wondering if you were going to get that. Like, I, I was like 90% sure you were going to say Marvel. It is still Marvel in my notes. <laughs> I was very close. Uh, one quick question. What am I doing here? How did you get me here? Why am what? Um, I am interested in knowing about the <laughs> magic in the Marvel. Uh, no, magic. Mad magic. Magic got you here for magic. Okay. One you moment. were riding the synchronicity wave. Okay. Um, one moment well, you were stowed then. away in an air balloon for one of our other podcasts, and suddenly you're here learning. Which I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm a little, I was confused how you knew this. And um, but. So, Professor Z, explain what we're doing today. Oh, God. Um, like the first Marvel magic episode, pretty much everything that is going to come up more than once, or might not come up again, that is a notable magic thing in DC. Uh, where magic comes from, explaining why DC is so much harder to do this kind of show for than Marvel is, um, all of that, and then we will discuss books of magic, which, oh, books of magic. Mm. That's the second half, though. Oh, and also, yeah, greetings, noob. <laughs> Steven. Oh, yeah, I I'm Steven. Um... And I'm here to learn. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to any of our other podcasts, Stephen's with us like a solid 50% of the time at this point. So uh, I'm a stowaway <laughs> and I enjoy it. So when we first sat down, because Mac had to step away, that's one thing we'll talk about before this. Uh, we said that we were going to kind of put Mac and Marvel on hold. And instead, we're going to just trade off chapter by chapter. We kind of realized as we were recording the Marvel stuff that it kind of, they fit into to segments. Here's wizards. Here's hell. Here's gods. Yeah. And so we're going to do the first chapter of DC here with Steven, and then we'll switch back to, uh, to Marvel, and then switch back and back and back, and we'll alternate the big two until we're done with them. And it sounds kind of confusing, but it's actually pretty easy. So, like, you'll do... Marvel science end of it, or cosmic. No, or we'll do, like, we're going to go through, for you, for here, at first, the DC big hero magic character. Oh, first. yeah, no, I'm, I meant, yeah. And then we'll do, go back to Mac, and we'll do, like, Marvel and witches. And then come back to you and do DC magic, whatever is, I don't, is I don't have to list in front of me. Okay, cool. So, you'll be on for a few weeks, and then off for a few weeks, and then on for a few, Yeah. Okay. It'll give you more time to read stuff is really the honest truth of it. That works for me, and also it was pretty painless to be magic here, so <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with this. I'm assuming it's going to be painless to be magic back to my, my stowaway hole. But, uh, one is happens? easier than the other. Uh, <laughs> About that. As long as we're not here too long, I assume it'll be fine. This was a pretty easy sell. Hey, Steven, you want to read a bunch of comic books? Yeah, I do. Oh. All right, sounds great. <laughs> But as we were looking over how we wanted to do this, because we have our whole little master list, we quickly went, oh, crap, DC is so much more complicated for two reasons. One, DC obsessively buys other companies. Not as much anymore just because there aren't as many other companies. Because they bought them. Because they bought them. Uh, but, for example, the Captain Marvel Shazam characters all come from Fawcett originally. Characters like Nightshade or Captain Adam, who will not... Captain Adam, at least, will not appear, like, at all this season. Uh, all come from Charlton. 
there's a few others. I mean, DC itself used to be like four separate companies. There was a national DC itself. I don't remember the others. Then to add to that, they are both very fond of the multiverse, and they're very fond of rebooting things roughly every 10 years. Yeah, when we were talking the Marvel side, even though big quote-unquote reboots happen, they've never just completely axed their multiverse. All of it counts. All of it matters. Namor's history traces back to Marvel Comics number one in whatever, whatever, 1940-whatever. DC? Not so much. Ever since 1985, with Crisis on Infinite Earths, roughly every 10 years they have rebooted uh, in what is called a crisis event. And some things get completely thrown out the window during those. Out of curiosity, do they come, have they ever come back after another, like, crisis-level event? (laughs) I'm going to run through the big crisis events real, real fast here. I just need a, just a yes or no to stretch, scratch my curiosity. Yes, but we can go question over mark? It, which, that's all I need. Okay, just, just for uh, explanation. The early comics took, or in what we refer to as the Golden Age, where, you know, Alan Scott is Green Lantern instead of Hal Jordan. Jay Garrick is The Flash instead of uh, Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. Went from 19, late 30s to somewhere in the 40s. It's what's referred to the Golden Age of Comics. In the 50s, around 1955, they introduced Barry Allen as the Flash, and they create just a new world. And in 1961, they create a comic called The Flash of Two Worlds, where Golden Age Flash and Silver Age Flash meet. And it turns out that all of the comics they published in the decades before took place on what is called Earth 2. Main universe, Earth-1. That universe, Earth-2. So Golden Age is Earth-2. Yes. So Jay Garrett. Jay Garrick would be Earth-2. Alan Scott would be Earth-2. And then Barry Allen. Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan, Wild West, Earth-1? Earth-1. Even though they came second. Yes, it gets even more confusing. Because it was the primary Earth being used. Gotcha. Not to be confused with Earth-Prime. Or Prime-Earth. Uh, you're making this worse. Uh, That's almost as confusing as Primer, which is a different thing. It starts becoming a yearly tradition to do a what they were calling crises, which was a Earth-1 and Earth-2, the JLA and the Justice Society, so the JSA, which was the precursor of the Justice League, meet up, often meeting other universes. For example, Earth-S, which is where Captain Marvel Shazam is from. Earth-X, which is where... Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters mm-hmm. are from, and where the Nazis won. Earth X gets used in the Arrowverse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Big multiversal meetups. Yes. This goes on until 1985 when Crisis on Infinite Earths hits, and they literally destroy the multiverse and just merge all of these together into what is called New Earth, or what we will refer to as post crisis. It is the first really big retcon. And it becomes very confusing because they're trying to fit all of these things now into one world. Instead of being on a different universe, the JSA just were active in World War II and retired shortly afterwards because uh, McCarthy accused them of being communists. Okay. I actually like this better than the two Earths, but it's... (laughs) I mean, it grounds it in a way that I I like. It it is uh, very good. They have another one that won't really affect magic too much about 10 years later called Zero Hour, A Crisis in Time. And then in around 2005, they have Infinite Crisis, 
which will come up a couple of times because the Spectre was a major character in that. And then somewhere around 2012, they did Flashpoint and recreated the entire world again with an even more, like, over-the-top reboot with the New 52. So wait, the Flashpoint resulted in the New 52? Yes. yes. So I'm, I'm semi-familiar with some New 52 continuity in that I started reading uh, DC Comics for the most part when the New 52 reboot happened. New 52 gets uh, a bad rap because there's some really garbage comics in it. But, but there's, there's also some beautifully oh, and yeah. amazingly new constructed comics that got me into DC. Um, which was the point. Some of my favorite comics of the last 20 years were like New 52 launches. Some of the most unreadable Drek was also from, like, it was a range when you're launching 52 titles at once. Which... I don't even think I've ever heard of anything remotely close to No, that. it was wild. It was absolutely insane. And messy. And messy. And it didn't super work, and they erased a lot of stuff. I'd be curious to know its hit rate, just like, what stuck? About 50%. Oh, not bad. Um, it did get really interesting to try to fit all of the Robins into a space of about six years. What little there I were did, four Robins at that point. Which I was reading most of the Batman continuity at that time. Um, oh, Tim Drake did not serve well. No, was not served yeah, well in that. No, not really. He kind of, kind of got shafted. Yeah, a little bit. Over time, they have started doing a few other kind of crisis events called uh, Metal and Death Metal. Mm-hmm. They refuse to put the crisis name, but it has functionally the same thing. And they're right now introducing what is called the Infinite Frontier where basically the heroes have become aware that they have gone through these multiple reboots and retcons. Oh. And so they, in some cases, have memories of multiple different things that are absolutely conflicting. Ow. Uh, yeah, it's actually a really interesting idea, but I, I do also laugh at the same time of DC's like, it all matters, this is a revolutionary idea. I'm like, Marvel's been doing that since the 40s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, with some of the stuff from the New 52, the changes that were made technically take place from New 52 on, but weren't actually explained till a few years later. Editors were having troubles. New 52 actually wasn't originally supposed to be an entire line-wide relaunch. It was supposed to be a soft reboot of how the JLA formed, and Dan Didio was like, that's great, let's do it with everyone, and they went, wait, what? Okay. And Which, then, like, from a marketing standpoint, I understand that, but also from, like, a, uh, you know, labor and uh, a creative standpoint of coming up with 52 new continuities for people. Well, and from what I understand, probably, they were probably picky with some of the creative teams and some of the characters, but some of the creative teams had free reign over what was still canon within their reboot. So that's why you have so many Robins, was because Scott Snyder was like, well, I love all of Batman's continuity, so well, it all exists. Grant Morrison's like, I'm not stopping the story I've been telling, I'm just going to keep running like nothing changed. Uh, hadn't, he be set, hadn't he been setting it up for basically like a, nearly He'd a been writing Batman for a long time at that point. So like he was like, no, I'm going into my endgame, I'm not changing my story. But, you know, there are big-name creators like George Perez. George Perez wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths. He's one of the most important comic creators of all time, honestly. Did I say writer? He's the artist. But he couldn't work with them anymore. He just found it way too frustrating. Editors were changing things, like, a month before release. He was suddenly having to redraw books Mm -hmm. that were coming out really soon. 
behind the scenes, it was kind of a mess. But some really interesting stuff came out of it. That's a lot of a lot of interesting things come out of messes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very messy, though. So I'm going to sum up some of the magic stuff from before the New Fifty Two, and then Tyler is going to sum up some of the post New Fifty Two, the Rebirth era, which is when they kind of gave up on New Fifty Two has nothing from before and kind of started blending things together. Oh, wait, the story was really popular. No one will shut up about it. I guess it counts again. Yep. It's one of the best eras of comics the DC's released ever, though, so Rebirth was great. Uh, before you actually get into some of the stuff, it also makes it really interesting going forward because it also means some characters are going to end up getting two episodes. Oh, yeah. Wonder Woman could probably have three, if we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, from what little I know of her... And what I've heard from y- y'all talk about her in um, on General Nerdery, she's got a lot of uh, a wide berth of uh, stories she's covered, and a lot of magic. The the only two characters that have had more variations on the origin story are Batman and Superman, and like let's be honest, it's a reason those three are called the Trinity. So. Magic first appears in DC in February of 1935 in New Fun Comics number one. And it's kind of fun in Marvel. It's like magic first appears in uh, with Namor and like Atlantis. Mm-hmm. This one, it is two. They have names, but I've already forgotten them. Kids who have a magic crystal ball that sends them back in time to ancient Egypt. Well, yeah. it was a single throwaway story of like. One of, like, five stories in this collection of new fun comics. But it's also technically the first time. And Matt, mm. I, I would enjoy this. This sounds fun. Oh, it's probably really bad. I mean, but, it's really bad, but also if I was a child at that point, I'd, I'd mm. be wicked into that. It kind of made me think of the Boxcar Children when I was reading it. No, not Boxcar Children. Uh, uh, Magic Treehouse. Did you read any of these? Uh, no. It, okay, it was these, like, young adult novels from probably the 50s or 60s where Morgan Le Fay is helping, is, is like, enchanted this treehouse to travel through time and these, like, kids are getting in and going on adventures throughout time? Did, is this so, a cartoon? No, it was, a, it was like a young adult novel series. Did they make it into a cartoon? It should have. Treehouse TARDIS? Yeah, sort of. With, wait, like, Morgan Le Fay from like, Arthur? Arthur, yeah. The... The, to my understanding, supposed to be quote quote unquote air. I'm doing air quotes uh, for the listener. Um, evil Morgan Le Fay, to my understanding at least, or at least I every think it was Morgan Le Fay, and it turns out she wasn't actually the evil one. It could have been Merlin, and they're trying to stop Morgan Le Fay. I have not read these in twenty five years, probably. Okay, well. Sorry, I apparently took a much deeper cut than I thought I was doing there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you just took a deep enough cut that I was very interested. Um, I was super into them, like, but it was like second grade. So, so in DC, the Abrahamic religion is much more on the nose than it is necessarily in Marvel. Marvel has like devils, but Satan himself, Lucifer, isn't a main character. Lucifer had an ongoing comic series for like a hundred issues and uh, Tom Ellis is playing him mm-hmm. on TV now. Possibly right now as we're recording. I don't know what his schedule is like. Uh, are we covering any of, the, any of that? We oh, will. Yeah, we Sweet. will. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it, it gets hardcore into it. And not but, only Lucifer, but like... The Spectre is the spirit of gods. <laughs> oh, wow. They Asmodeal. All, Asmodeal. Is, I'm assuming this might be in some of the newer stuff? No. Oh. The Spectre is, was created by Jerry Siegel, who also created Superman. He's eventually revealed to be the spirit of God's vengeance. Okay. Uh, they mention him in uh, Books of Magic. They talk about sometimes he's all-powerful, and other times he's a dude in, like, white tights and a green cape. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, that's that's the Spectre for you. These days, he's mostly just all-powerful, but yeah. those early appearances were wild. Now... They don't actually refer to him as, they don't refer to God as God very often in this. It is generally referred to as the presence. But it's basically the Abrahamic God. I mean, angels, Lucifer, the whole shebang. There's also, just because Lucifer's already come up a couple times, um, there's one really weird twist, though, in DC. Lucifer was the leader of the fallen angels, but was not the first to fall. Mm Mm-hmm. There is actually a demon named the first of the fallen. Also, Lucifer ends up in like in charge of hell because God knew the presence knew he would be happier doing that than serving in heaven. So he's like, I just want what's best for you, man. Mm-hmm. Go have fun with this. He Which, like purposely engineers it because he knows the demons would be happier down there, and because he wants to set it up so mankind can have free will. Which this is a this is a concept that I uh, that I've seen in, in certain medias um, where where they they paint the devil slash Lucifer in the in like a the light of basically a guy who's just doing their job. It's a crappy job, but someone should be doing it, and it's just a person. And I am really kind of into that concept. Well, it's a good thing we're going to be reading some of the Lucifer series then. This is just mm-hmm. built for you. <laughs> um, like with the Marvel stuff, we'll also also be watching some movies and TV shows and stuff. We have not fully determined what all of those will, will be, happen yet. But because DC drops the ball more often with that stuff. Uh-huh. Except for Legions, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which That's is true. just solid gold. Yes. It's just great. Except for the first season. No, I will go to bat for the first season. I I enjoy it. It's Even not, people on the first season will fight you on that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's great, but I there's some real growth in that first season. That's true. That's And that's and, where you get most of Captain Cold. Yeah. Right, yeah. I'll give you that. Anyway. <laughs> it's not its strongest seasons, but I will still go to bat for it. The presence when he appears in human form, which does not happen very often is either seen as a very British-looking dude with, like, an old tweed suit and a big walrus mustache and a bowler hat, or giant freaking hands. Just just giant hands reaching out of nowhere. Just, like, molding the universe with its giant hands? Yes, actually. Straight up. There is a very famous scene where a villain named Krona is whose entire villainous backstory was he wanted to see the birth of creation, and people were like, no, bad things will happen if you do that. But he does it anyways. And he sees these giant hands reaching out of nowhere to, like, form and create the Big Bang. Now, what those hands are has been changed multiple times, but in several versions, it is the presence itself creating existence. Okay, so... I, I'm cool with all that, but my question is, how did 
how did the people know to tell Corona that it was bad to look at the creation? I would assume this is bad, but like, did they see it? These guys later become... Did someone come back and tell them? Corona is a Malthusian, which is the species that later becomes the Guardians of the Universe and the creators of the Green Lantern Corps. So they have some wild technology and access to stuff that they might otherwise have... uh, I don't know. I'm just going to say they big they big special people. Okay, cool. Well, so here's the thing. They're powerful enough that very early in their history, there was a point where this ties in. They actually tried to remove all magic from the universe. They're not quite powerful enough to do that. But they came close. But they tried real hard. Jerk move. <laughs> we'll get to that. I moment. bet they have the reasonings, but it's uh, on, on the face explained to me like that. It sounds like a jerk move. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk real briefly at this point because it's going to come up in other stuff about the new gods and the old gods. This is Jack Kirby, Darkseid being the most famous of the new gods. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with them, mostly through their iteration in Young Justice that you see pop up from... I, they will I, almost entirely not appear this season because they fit into what I judge as the cosmic. As a reminder, if you've not listened before... I kind of fit comic book things into three sections. Magic, cosmic, and science. Magic is, you know, straight up magic. Science is science fiction. Cosmic is the stuff that doesn't really fit into either category. Somewhat is blending. Yes, it's a bit of bleeding between the both. But is, is one and isn't the other, but also is all of it at once, but sometimes isn't and sometimes... Is? Yeah, it's yeah. usually space gods. Yeah. Um, which the new gods are a million percent space gods. So. Which like how do you like what is a space god? So like how do you describe that type of situation? So it's definitely its own category. Yes. Mm-hmm. The new gods are what's par- called the fourth world. Basically, they're theoretically like the fourth iteration of these gods. The first sort of. The first and second world are the same people. The first world is the people before they became gods. The second world is the people of that species as after they evolved into gods. The second world is pretty much just the Norse pantheon. Because the concept for the new gods first came up when Jack Kirby was still working at Marvel and had an idea for like a successor series to Thor. But it didn't happen there... And he just adapted it to DC when he later came in. So he's just like, well, that's their Norse mythology, and we're just going to take mm-hmm. this other... Loki is spelled like L-O-K-E-E. It's Wotan instead of Odin. I mean, variations of the mm-hmm. same name. Who the third world is is kind of variable. At one point, it was implied that we're the third world, because you know third world in the solar system. That is almost entirely been ignored, and somewhere since the mid-90s, Grant Morrison declared us that we will be the fifth world. We will become gods after the new gods disappear. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The important part of this, though, is that when the old gods died, their world was split in half into Apocalypse and New Genesis. Evil new gods, good new gods. But in the process of this, The God Wave was launched across the universe. What is the God Wave? Honestly, it does not matter too much other than the fact that 
we were trying to figure out the origin of magic in DC, and this is mentioned as probably the origin. It's the origin of superpowers. The God Wave is, quote, a cosmic force of divine energy that created the pantheons of Earth, the Speed Force, which gives the Flash's powers, the Quantum Field, which I believe is traced to the Atom? I, that sounds correct. And the emotional spectrum channeled by the Guardians of the Universe. It hit Earth weirdly hard, which is why we have so many heroes and villains and just super-powered individuals, because it was well in vogue in the 90s to try to explain why all of these heroes and villains were appearing on Earth when there was like maybe one or two on other planets in the galaxy. Oh, the quantum field is connected to Captain Atom. Uh, okay, yeah. Honestly, that's all we're going to say about the God Wave. It came from a crossover called Genesis. It said they were going to introduce new guardians of the universe. It lasted about 10 issues, and we made fun of it a lot on uh, Word Balloons because that's where Cold Flame, the cocaine supervillain, came. Anytime, because the God Wave doesn't get brought up often, any other time they want to say back to the source, it's literally not referring to the God Wave, but to the source wall. That's the part I forgot to mention. The new gods obsessively talk about something called the source. The source is pretty much the force, if we're being honest. It is the living energy of the universe. Okay. All of us are part of the greater source, and they can actually get connections to the source that give them instructions. Okay. The multiverse is surrounded by what is called the source wall. It would originally, when it was first created, didn't have a visual thing. It was just like the edge of the universe, but you can't get through. It was later drawn as a actual visual wall at the edge of the multiverse with a bunch of like, they call them Promethean giants, these giant people stuck in the source wall. And they're people who have tried to get through the source wall. And then instead you get trapped in the source wall. It was originally of surrounding this universe that got changed to surrounding the multiverse. Now it might surround the omniverse, which is like multiple multiverse. It's confusing. It doesn't matter. Just go on with it. They've broken the source wall a couple of times with weird, bad energy coming through. Honestly, other than a really cool visual of a giant wall in the middle of space with weird looking giants stuck to it, the source wall isn't going to come up too much here. So is this... So the source wall is the, is the source. Just it contains the source. So whatever all of the source tapping, is within the source wall. They're they're tapping to as I assume whatever's on the other side of that wall, I guess. Or even just the power of the wall itself. <laughs> I mean, the wall itself, I imagine, is also the whatever power is on the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the borders of reality. So when like someone goes through the source wall or like they break the source wall. What comes from outside of our reality is sort of a thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's visually really cool. It's one of those things like, and you're reading it, you're like, this is awesome. And when you try to explain it out loud, like we're doing, you're like, this is really dumb. No, it sounds pretty cool to me. Okay, <laughs> good. Because I thought I sounded like a mad person. No, I'm just, uh, I'm I, in all honesty, I'm kind of uh, pulling uh, from full metal alchemist and the gate that they have in there. Sure. If that works kind of, for you, 
Mm-hmm. I never finished it, so I'll oh. have to... It was right at the point where I suddenly decided I was too cool for anime, and I haven't ever... I was like 16, don't well, judge go me. go fork yourself. <laughs> You're not too cool for that. Anime's I know that now! You should finish it, it's quite good. I, I know, it's it. on my list. Or at least, like, watch through Brotherhood, since both? it's accurate. Yeah. They're both great, I like them. <laughs> Two groups to talk about real quick. One, the first one, is a group called The Quintessence. It is... They're sort of like the Watchers from Marvel. It is a list of characters that are insanely powerful and watch and observe as big, important things happen and rarely get involved or do anything helpful. They consist of High Father of the Old Gods, Ganthet of the Guardians, Zeus, or in some versions, Hera, uh, the Phantom Stranger, and the Wizard Shazam. And basically, if you really want to show that something big and important is happening, you will show these five standing around like a floating globe of the planet Earth as they discuss, is this the end of time? Only, like, uh, only, only time fate will tell. Will tell. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I tried to change Let's all time, watch like, and find out. It's like the Watcher in Marvel. You know, he the big-headed guy shows up, and you're like, oh, this is important. Uh, this, you... You guys might be uh, mucking it up real good here, so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to (laughs) watch. They're an interesting thing. If they first appeared in Kingdom Come by, uh, that's Mark Wade and Alex Ross, but like a lot of things from Kingdom Come, they slowly just kind of inched it into the main DC universe without making a big deal about it, because Kingdom Come was pretty baller. The other one is the Lords of Chaos and Order. These are some of the only ones that don't really have parallels in Marvel. They are beings of extraordinary power. I mean, there is a Master Chaos and Lady Order or something like that in Marvel, but they're, like, not used Mm -hmm. at all. Uh, That were originally treated as, like, Lords of Order, good guys. Lords of Chaos, bad guys. And has since been changed to uh, the two extremes that no one actually wants to live in. Interesting. You know, uh, if the Lords of Chaos wins, the rules of physics might stop working. If the rules of order start, like, win, say goodbye to the concept of free will. So it's Or say goodbye to the concept of life, because nothing existing is very orderly. Okay. Both <laughs> of them too extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now... You will occasionally meet actual lords of chaos or order. They tend to be smaller ones or ones that aren't really into the, like, big war. Uh, Clarion the Witch Boy is a lord of chaos. The demon Mordru, who will come up a few times, is a lord of chaos. Uh, a lord of order includes Amethyst of Gemworld, who definitely is getting an episode because she's amazing. More often than not, though, instead of directly interfering, they will... Uh, interfere through a proxy. Dr. Fate, his powers are based off the helmet of Naboo. Naboo being the Lord of Order, who is now pretty much just trapped in that helmet in most versions. Do we... just? Uh, we'll go over it when that comes no, up, no, but out of curiosity, ask, I do want to know, do we find out how he gets trapped in this helmet? Is this ever... Yeah, actually. Sweet. I think so. I think it changes a few times, but um, I don't actually know the answer to that myself. Um, I mean, I... I'll go into it post uh, I think post uh, fifty two here in a, I think a minute. Slash the uh, the helmet uh, slash uh, uh, Kent is a really interesting story. What little I've seen. I I honestly the helmet of fate is probably my favorite comic book tchotchke. Like 
MacGuffin device. In all honesty, if I had to have just like a random thing that I just had sitting on a shelf that I'd never talked about that uh, was like a random MacGuffin from something, it would be a like a version of the Doctor's Fate helmet because that's super rad. I make leather armor all the time, and the only reason I haven't made a Doctor Fate helmet is because I would be very judgmental of myself if I messed it up. And also, it's not going to be gold. Oh no, I would just paint it. Oh okay. We'll make it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Okay. And if it's not good, make it again. <laughs> That's the usual thing. I just am judging with that one. Um, Don't be. So we mentioned the Malthusians before. They become, at least a section of them, become the guardians, guardians of... I keep wanting to say the galaxy, but that's not accurate. Guardians of the universe. The creators of the Green Lantern Corps. In the early days, and this is like several billion years ago. Wait, Sorry, I just need to cite my Please brain do. question. Does this mean that the Green Lantern is magic? One of them is. Is this Golden Era, like Golden Age, Golden Green, Age Lantern. Green Lantern is magic? Earth 2, okay. But this combination might be post... I'm not sure when this story I'm about to tell you was first created. So, <laughs> in the early days of the universe, magic was more powerful than science. It's a, a common theme, especially in DC, of either magic or science reigns, but, like, not really either, not both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my understanding su- magic is basically one of Superman's only weaknesses other than kryptonite. Yep, because Kryptonians largely didn't use magic, so they're just not disposed to exist, uh, to dealing with it. But billions of years ago, magic pretty much dominated the universe with giant empires like a group called the Empire of Tears, which I want to know way more about than I was able to find. Because mm-hmm. I mostly was able to find they used magic and they were called the Empire of Tears. I hope it was just like bummer tears and less than a, than pain tears person. Nah, it's probably pain tears. Um, <laughs> the Empire of Emos. The Empire I, I would of Big Sad than the Emperor Empire of Angry uh, Angry Pain Tears. Yeah. Well, the Empire of Big Sads was being very mean to the universe, and the Malthusians decided that were a young boy. <laughs> the Malthusians decided that they needed science to win, so they could create things like the Green Lantern Corps and the Manhunters, which went way worse. But different story. They needed to get rid of all magic. So they amongst they go to war with pretty much all magic users, uh, eventually defeating the Empire of Tears, and are and attempt to condense all magic into a single thing to trap it. This thing is now known as the Star Heart. It also clearly does not work because you know, Doctor Fate, Zatanna, Mordru in the year three thousand. Um, the Endless. The Endless, yeah. But they are able to kind of get magic under control, which, if we're honest, gave a lot of species a chance to exist that they did not have before. They, from my understanding, trapped the star heart in a star or as a star. I was not quite clear in the article I was reading about that. But part of it escapes and forms into a meteor as it travels across space. Just, you know, space dust gathering around it. You know, like stars do. As they do. Mm-hmm. That meteor crashes onto Earth where a Chinese man in ancient China... Honestly, I've looked at some of these early stories. It's a lot more racist than it should be, but... Eh, uh, 
creates a lantern out of it. This lantern is green and possesses the green flame of life. Over time, this lantern goes from person to person to person until a madman changes it into a train-style lantern. I don't know how. That part was not mentioned. Was he mad? I think he was mad before, because I'm pretty sure he found it at Arkham. Why this was at Arkham Asylum, who knows? Oh, you know, just some some guy who was researching it. Mm -hmm. During a train crash, Alan Scott finds it, is the only survivor, largely due to this lantern, and becomes the first Green Lantern. Now, his powers, he is not connected to the Guardians or the core in any way, shape, or form. His powers are entirely magic-based, and uh, his weakness is to wood and not to the color yellow. His powers don't work on wood. There's a reason for this. And I will attempt to have it for you by the time we get to the Green Lantern episode. Okay. Gonna be entirely honest with you, I could not find it, although I know I've read it somewhere once before. That works for me, and it's gonna work for you too, listener. (laughs) (laughs) The Starheart is interesting because sometimes it's treated as a good thing, sometimes it's treated as, like, super-duper evil. Sounds just like a dangerously powerful thing. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. it's uh, all of the magic of the early cosmos bunched together. The green flame at some times hangs out within Alan Scott's ring. At other times, he actually absorbs it into his body and he no longer uses a ring. He doesn't need it. He's just basically made of that energy. That's cool. Uh, his daughter, Jade, at one point, straight up has the same thing. She has all the Green Lantern powers without having to have a ring. And now I'm curious, do either of these iterations exist in the newer continuity? Yes. Actually, Alan Scott was written out for a while, but um, in New 52, he was created on a different Earth 2 where his powers were closer connected to people like Swamp Thing. Which is a whole bag of I don't know. That we will get into. I'm not even mentioning the Parliament of Trees and the green and the red and all of my stuff here. Um, well, you're early enough in history. That's that it's some, not really coming up Some of much. it is still forming. <laughs> but Alan Scott was recently reintroduced, and they came out as Alan Scott is gay. Oh, that's Which cool. he was not for years, but when they recreated him for Earth 2 in 2012, mm-hmm. they had that version as gay, and then the original version wasn't. And it's revealed in this new one, no, he was gay. He was just closeted for 80 years now. I mean... Um, yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, World War II era, like, he was a closeted gay man. And honestly, it's really A lot of homophobia. Makes sense mm-hmm. to be closeted. Not going to fault him. Well, and his son, Obsidian, has been openly gay since the 80s. So having him be like, I was partly inspired by you coming out, it just took me a long time because, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was born in before the Depression or in the Depression. Sounds pretty depressing. I imagine that would be a reason. I'm actually really excited to see what they do with Alan Scott right now. That's awesome. I'm excited. Okay, so I only have two things, and then we'll switch to your thing, and both of these will be pretty quick. If you are a magic user in in DC, and not like, I'm using a magic device. I'm not using the Helmet of Fate. I'm not using the Chris, the whatever uh, Sargon uses. Oh, the the Ruby Ruby of of Life. Ruby of Life. Uh, I just use magic, you know, like Zatanna. It means that you are a descendant of the Homo Magi. The Homo Magi are a offshoot or like sister species of Homo sapiens. Uh, parallel. Parallel, thank you. Parallel evolution. 
They look identical to Homo sapiens, and much like how we're discovering that more and more people have Neanderthal DNA than we thought, a lot of people have Homo magi DNA. So they're just pred- just genetically predicated to having magic in yep. them. Mm-hmm. That's um, cool. I like that. They're basically also the descendants of the Atlanteans. Most of the time. Most of the time. Atlantis is a big deal in magic on Earth. Mm -hmm. And it's soups confusing. Yeah. Especially because once I... They've brought Homo Magi back, which doesn't fit as well into the new way that Mm -hmm. magic goes, but... Um, They have also (laughs) talked about, every once in a while, especially with Zatanna, who is the most prominent Homo Magi... And actually, the Sorcerer Supreme of the DC Universe, which we found out while looking this up, the Sorcerer Supreme is also a title in DC, not just Marvel. It's just not nearly on the same... It's just not a big deal. ...scale. They're like, oh, she's the most powerful magic user, whatever. Zatanna is generally considered the most powerful magic user in DC, who has her powers just having her powers. She doesn't have the Helmet of Fate. She doesn't have... Yeah, she can just do whatever spell she wants. She just has to focus, and she does it through... She says it backwards? Yeah. But even that is entirely just a foci. It's not... She doesn't have to, depending on the spell. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, lesser spells she can do without talking backwards. Why why have I not seen more of her in, like, other things? Other than, like, magic, I imagine, is probably harder to just, like... Uh, One, sexism. Two... I think people are embarrassed by this superhero freaking amazing woman who dresses like a like stage show magician. Yeah, uh, magician's assistant most of the time. Magician's she is one of the two fishnet DC superheroines, but also it's her and Black Canary. They're some of the best Justice League members ever created. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what little I've seen of them, they both. Rick and rule. Black Canary should lead the league always. Um, yes. I'm, I'm just putting that down. Yeah. But she rules. Uh, Z will be getting a lot of attention as time goes by, even if she is, you know, she's not nearly as big on scale as like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, but at the very least she could, should be considered along the lines of like Green Arrow, Black Canary, Firestorm, that kind of like B-level mm-hmm. leakers. And then the last thing that I have to mention is just a place called the Oblivion Bar. It is a bar in a little bubble universe, pocket universe, connected to ours, to the DC universe, that is basically Magic Cheers. Nice. But they don't know your name. Not your actual name. Not your actual name. Um, It is... Sorry, I just needed to make a Cheers joke. No, that's perfect. It is usually run by a character known as the Nightmaster. Lately, it's been run by a guy named Detective Chimp who is literally a detective chimp. I love it. Bobo. I love Bobo. We will be spending a lot of time on Bobo. Um, Nice. It it fits the same idea. Did you read Dresden at all? No. Okay. In it, there is a bar called Max that is neutral ground. The same thing happens here. You don't start a fight in the Oblivion bar. You will just get bodily ejected by the bar itself. Kind of like the bar in Angel in, like, season one and two. I will have to roll with you on that one. I've not watched Angel. Uh, there is a, a bar that's ran by a demon who has it uh, blessed by some sort of entity that allows, uh, that basically makes so there's no violence allowed. You very much get the right concept. Uh, yeah. 
heroes, villains, it doesn't really matter as long as you don't start stuff in the bar, neutral ground. It is also a place where when things go really bad for magic, like when the Spectre goes insane and decides that the only way to fix the universe is to kill all magic users, everyone goes and kind of like huddles up at the Oblivion Bar to figure out what to do. For lack of a better term, like a home base, but not like, yeah. like a tag home base. Not In like real a... cases of emergency, this is the meetup point. Okay. It's also one of the places in D.C. that I would most like to visit, to be honest with you. That'd be pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Be pretty dope. Is it an actual bar? It's a bar. It's a bar. Yeah. Do they have magical drinks or is it like... Probably? I'd have to imagine. they. I mean, they have enough drinks to uh, serve a magical variety of clientele, so... Bobo the detective chimp did spend like 80 years there just hanging out and drinking, so... Probably? Okay, cool. I'd go there. Yeah. You're up, Professor T. <laughs> well, I mean, not that you haven't already given us enough, but I was like, uh, should we also touch on the endless yet, or wait? Or like... Real quick, in like a paragraph, explain the endless. Okay, so there were some... When we mentioned that like the Guardians tried to gather up all the magic, it was ultimately futile because there were some magical things that are way beyond them be able, being able to capture. The Endless are some of those things. Um, I feel like if they existed in Marvel, they would be considered cosmic on the Marvel side, but they are generally considered explicitly magic in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, Out of curiosity, does DC have basically kind of that cosmic side? I feel like they're a little bit more... It's the mostly the new gods. The new gods, anything related to them. Honestly, I kind of count the Green Lanterns as cosmic, even though they do say it's explicitly science. But also, come on. like Yeah. Uh, uh, Lobo it, honestly fits into cosmic better than he does like science or yeah, anything true. like that. Okay, so yeah, I understand that. But it seems like they're a little bit more... Black and white with their science v magic. Yes, uh, than, I'll give you that. The Marvel side characters is. like Adam Warlock are much less common in DC, mostly because Jim Starlin didn't write for them for like thirty years. <laughs> so the Endless are the seven beings that are the anthropomorphic personifications of different concepts. There is desire, despair, destiny, dream, death, delirium, and destruction. And they are both more powerful and less powerful than most of the gods you run across. Uh, They're not truly immortal and can be killed, but they always exist up until the end of time, basically. Um, Death existed from the moment uh, sentience realized that it could be extinguished and will exist until the last bit of the universe. Um, She's a pretty goth girl. mm Mm-hmm. Okay, where where do you see the endless like in their con- like what what where- the Sandman? Okay, so sweet. They were created specifically for the Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Uh, a dream-, dream pops up in yes, book and so does death. Yes, and so does death. I uh, and the, I think the fourth book. Mm-hmm. There are multiple incarnations of death in the DC universe. There's you know Necron. There's who created the Black Lantern mm-hmm. rings. There's a few other versions. Neil Gaiman has been like, no, death is. The death. incarnation of death. 
she's kind of above them, but works on a different scale because there's no like, oh, I'm trying to win. She just is. is. She is death. It is Uh an eventuality. Yes. It is inescapable. It's It's there. It's been explained that the Endless exist because all of sentient creation subconsciously agrees that they exist. That's wild. (laughs) You can't see my face, but it's blown. (laughs) Oh, because of the fact that one of the Endless exists as a retcon, I do want to say something that I forgot to say at the very beginning here. Mm-hmm. All DC magic characters can kind of be summed up as one of like three or four categories. Superheroes and villains, characters that came from Vertigo in the late 80s and 90s, Vertigo being a kind of side publishing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandman came from it, Swamp Thing was in it, Doom Patrol, a lot of like their weird, edgier, darker, Constantine. more mature stuff, Constantine. Uh, or characters that were created to be basically the crypt keeper from tales of the crypt, the person that shows up in between stories to be like, that was spooky. Cain and Abel. Huh? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, the phantom stranger mm-hmm. destiny here. Uh, Mr. E from books of magic. Yeah. All of these were people, I think I vampire, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that one. I could, I could very much be wrong. We'll have that right later. Characters that appeared in between to be like, yes, now we'll hear this next haunted story. And then we're eventually introduced, and everyone's like, well, what's your power? And they're like, I don't know, now I'll hear this next haunted story, Superman. I can segue. Also, I will bring up every opportunity I can to bring up the Endless, considering I have Morpheus tattooed on my leg. <laughs> I mean... Just gonna mention that while we go into the magic side of DC. A season um, I know two you don't of... mean it, but I thought of Morpheus from uh, from The Matrix. Oh. I just, like, just had a, a large Lord's fist burn from The Matrix uh, tattooed on your leg. They hired someone else, Tom something, for it, but for like the TV show, if they wanted to let Lawrence Fishburne do it, I would just roll with that. Uh, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne can act, so I would <laughs> down. Yeah. So here's magic, post-New 52... But most of this description doesn't even come till 2018. The the late from 2018 on, they've been going really, really heavy into the creation of magic and how it all works in DC in the Justice League Dark run. So a lot of this is basically just James Tinian, the fourth version of magic. It's one of the best runs of the past ten years, so just keep going. <laughs> um I would say that it's it's gonna be a lot easier than his to go through. Because well, it was also, on purpose. Because it was shorter. Yeah, because it was less. very much done on purpose. So magic uh, at the very beginning was very simply the light of um, hope and possibility that existed around whatever it was that was floating out there that became the rest of the universe. As the things in the center started to turn into worlds and stuff the magic then sort of coalesced around the outside into uh, what would later become known as the Sphere of the Gods, even though this is before gods actually exist. As the Sphere of the Gods comes into being, uh, so do the first two magical beings, uh, a goddess of light who would later become known as Hecate, the three-faced goddess, you know, three-aspect. Greek myth, Hecate, mm-hmm. And on the other side, a, a creature of darkness, the upside down, who becomes known as the upside down man. Heck, it's a bad name. I'm sorry, I just mm-hmm. gotta get it. Out I there. was literally just thinking how bad that name is. 
when Hecate first encounters the Upside Down Man, she becomes terrified of it and immediately creates a barrier between basically the inside of the sphere of the gods and everything on the outside. And so that they are pretty much the opposites of each other, and she's on the inside of the sphere. Okay. Everything on the outside is the dark multiverse, which is a, Don't a worry long about it. discussion of its own. <laughs> and afterwards, in order to far to flee further from him, goes to the planet that resides at the center, which is Earth Prime. Little, little narcissistic to put the center at Earth Prime, personally, in my opinion, but it's a whole different thing. I believe that's all very recently been the multiverse exists again, and it's not necessarily the Prime, but anyway. Which is different from Prime Earth, which is the one that we're in currently, because someone got very lazy right there. Mm-hmm. Oh. Someone should be fired over that if they haven't <laughs> been already. So she goes to Earth... Sees mankind, uh, starts to grant them some of her knowledge, and it's basically the first little slivers of magic that she gives out. Abracadabra, got your nose, here's a quarter. With that, with the extra belief in magic, humans start wondering where it comes from. You start getting the first legends and stories. Belief starts making the sphere of the gods that's surrounding everything section out into these little areas because magic itself was the uh, first power of belief and hope and possibility in the universe therefore belief and hope also act upon it and so that's where all these different realms heaven and hell start coming from as well as different places uh, such as like mira later on gem world gem world which they touch gem world in books of magic right they mention it extremely briefly but it doesn't come up much in the same way that I think they mentioned Scartarsis, but they don't... Uh, Scartarsis being hollow earth theory, basically being mm. real. Which I, I like the baller. concept. It's baller. Sorry. Onwards. Um, and along with this, as these different places formed within the sphere of the gods, so did the pantheons form. Now, they all wanted to be aligned with Hecate. And they're all like, yo, come like chill with us. And she kind of thought it was cute and, like, entertained the notions of a lot of it and just sort of kept, like, hanging out for a bit. And eventually, like, Hades was kind of like, yo, girl. She's like, yeah, no, I'm done with that. <laughs> and so she agrees to become part of the Greek pantheon and sort of play by their rules for a bit, even though, like, she could pretty much just will them out of existence. And they all kind of get a little bit of a power trip on it, and they're like, they know that she's playing by the rules, and so, like, Zeus gets kind of, like, high in the britches about it. And during this, once again, she's the three aspect. This is when she fir first actually starts to feel um, responsible for magic on Earth, starts teaching a little bit more actively, and transfers from the aspect of the maiden into the mother. Unfortunately, with these increased um, travels to and from Earth certain magic users on Earth start noticing that her magic differs from what, basically, the little slivers that she's been granting off to them. And that now that these different pantheons exist, they can also start pulling power from them due to belief and all that. Interesting. 
So I, I keep nodding my head uh, in silence, and I just want to uh, let the listeners know that I you am, get used to it. Yeah, you learn to... uh, this is wildly intriguing. <laughs> so those magic users are like, well, we keep spying on what she's doing, and we think we kind of got it. So we're going to use her own magic against her, and they recreate a lot of her sigils and manage to bind her. Why would you do this? This seems like a bad idea, if you ask me. Welcome to most stories where someone uses magic. Like, um, you, you learn how to do her stuff. Just, like, do, do, do her stuff, but don't, don't go at her. <laughs> they, obviously, you know, had her bound and tortured, kept trying to demand, teach us, you know, give us real magic, give us... We keep seeing what you're doing. Give us your power. And she's like, nah, whatever. And she knows that she has a place in the Greek pantheon, so she starts praying to the Greek gods. Come save me. Come save me. Nobody, nobody answers. Nobody answers. And then finally one day Hades just shows up and he's like, yeah, so we keep getting your prayers and I found a new wife with Persephone and you're kind of out of the pantheon. Yo, dog, that's, that's mean. I'm listening to an audiobook of Greek myths right now. It's very true to how the gods behave, though. Oh, like, yeah. They are conniving and... Um, in Marvel, the moral. Norse gods are kind of like the top the top god pack. In uh, DC, it's the Greek gods. And honestly, if i got to be stuck under one of the two, I'm going to go with the Norse, even though neither one is a great place to live if you're one of us. What little I know of North Miso- Norse, Miso- Norse mythology, um, I would have to agree with you. Uh, that it seems more chaotic, but also like a, well, what are you going to do? It's just what it is. Zeus sucks real bad. Yeah, and does some real uncomfortably messed up things. Yeah. Um, so she's like, oh, that sucks, and gets real mad. Like... Mad enough that within her binding, she reaches through the barrier to the dark multiverse, grabs a power, uh, a little sliver of power from the upside down man, and is like, here, captors, here's the power you've been hoping for. Oh, that goes terribly. This is when she transforms from the mother to the crone. She gets out of the binding. Uh, The people that she gives the power to become the Lords of Order. I did not know this part. Wow. Except they have a falling out because of their difference in philosophy, and her main torturer becomes Mordru, the first Lord of Chaos. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> God, Mordru is cool. He's a, he's a bad man. He's a bad guy. But... But he's really cool. At a certain point, the Lords of Order started realizing that the power that they were using was corroding them from the inside, and they sealed their consciousness inside uh, the different artifacts. There's a very, like, now a helm of Naboo, and, like, there's greaves of somebody else, and, like, a breastplate of... Oh, that's cool. It's kind of a Diablo 2 set, Mm -hmm. like, weapon set. And they started trying to teach others how to use power, and that was another little uh, influx of extra magical teaching into the world. Um, Though not where all magic came from at this point, since I said different belief systems have also started at this point to uh, basically leak their power in, even though all of it eventually sort of 
curls back around to Hecate in some way. Or the Upside Down Man. One of the two. <laughs> to go along with this, um, for, DC, for DC Nation, James Tinian IV was asked to talk about how magic is actually divided up now and, like, the different classifications. Um, and I'm actually just going to read from the DC Nation page because it he lays it out really, really easily and nicely. Real quick, we should say this is what they asked Neil Gaiman to do, and we got Books of Magic instead. Which is not straightforward. Which is not... I, <laughs> and I love it. Oh, it's one of my favorite it, Neil Gaiman stories, but it's... And <laughs> wonderful representations of some of those characters. But it is not the, like, clearinghouse that they were hoping it was going to be. So, for basic classifications these days, even though these aren't usually said out loud, uh, everybody you run into sort of falls into one of these categories. Uh, you have magicians. Uh, magicians are the most basic form of magic user. They encompass everyone from a magic pupil who can perform a single spell to some of the most skilled and dangerous magic pro uh, practitioners in the world. The most powerful living magician is Zatanna, who uses her family secret method of de backward talking to focus her magic uh, to cast spells. Everybody's a magician if they use magic. It's just whether they get more specific than that. Okay. Basically. But she is the most powerful magician because she doesn't use anything else. No, she's just the jack-of-all-trades while they're specialists. Uh, you have sorcerers. Uh, sorcerers are magic users who, to mitigate the risks uh, that spells can cause, turn to the use of enchanted artifacts to enhance their abilities. Uh, from the focus of these magical objects, these magicians are capable of tapping into a deeper well of magic. And so the most powerful sorcerer is Dr. Fate with the Helm of Nabu. So um, he's a former Lord of uh, Lord of Order. Who, N Nabu is the Lord of Order. Who turned himself into a helmet and is now a sorcerer whenever worn, basically. Mm -hmm. okay. yes. And whether who fate is, is varies on the author. Sometimes it's just Kent Nelson in total control. Other times it's Nabu possessing Kent Nelson. And then there's a third version where it's kind of a blend of the two. I like the blend of the two. That's the one I tend to prefer. It reminds me of uh, Firestorm in a way that I like. Firestorm's mm -hmm. a good example, or uh, how the Hulk is expressed sometimes is another oh, good have, example. I haven't read any Hulk that's done that, but that'd be interesting to see. Or at least I don't know if I've read any noticeably. So, uh, You have the School of Magic Blood. Uh, these are magic users whom by birth or intervention carry the blood of a fully magical being in their veins and are capable of handling an amount of magic in which the human body is unable to contain. Kind of like a Genasi from D&D, or an Azimar, or a Tiefling. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess kind of like a Nephilim, almost? I, I, which is like a, the offspring of an a angel and a human? Yeah, that, yeah. Would, that would create a... Granddaddy was a demon. Mm-hmm, gotcha. Uh, um, <laughs> Granddaddy was a demon is a great, <laughs> great turn of phrase. Up until recently, I'm not sure who the most powerful would currently be, but up until recently, uh, the most powerful user of magic blood was John Constantine, who had uh, a demon blood transfusion at one point. He got rid of it at one point, got mad because he missed the power, and put it back in. We'll go into that. <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy who would be mad about that. I'm just putting it out there. He wasn't immediately mad about it. 
Oh, it no. Took a while. If he got rid of it, he clearly wanted to get rid of it mm-hmm. for reasons, but then he realized, oh, there were some advantages, probably. Uh, you have the School of Champions. These magic users have beings, be it gods or demons, bound to their human souls and are granted magical powers through them. Uh, however, as a result, many of these champions' consciousnesses switch places uh, with one another in some form or another. Uh, the most powerful currently is Etrigan, the demon, who Jason Blood has his soul bound to Etrigan. When he transforms, it switches Etrigan in. Be gone, be gone, the form of man. Would Shazam fall in this category? It depends on the author. Um, um, uh, but I, I guess I'm basing it on my understanding because I've seen the movie, the, the more recent movie that they've done. And in a lot of the more ones. recent versions, it's very much still Billy Batson in the body of Shazam, in the body of uh, Captain Marvel. In the original versions, Billy Batson and Captain Marvel were different people. So old school, it would be more. Yes, and uh, my in other versions, they're very much. It's kind of a again a blending of the two. It's still Billy Batson, but he has you know the wisdom of Solomon literally talking to him. They do occasionally make funny jokes of uh, Solomon is not good with technology and is worried about what like rock music will do to your brain, but he's you know <laughs> still. Uh, you have the school of guardians. Guardians are selected people and magic users whom are bestowed powers from elemental forces, usually to create their own protectors. Uh, they can become immensely powerful and typically bind themselves to a mortal being's consciousness. Currently, the most powerful is considered to be Swamp Thing. Okay. Although, um, the Parliament of Trees is no more, and has been replaced with the Parliament, Parliament of Flowers, and I'm not sure how well they get along currently. Oh. Super, I'm looking forward to learning about that one. I am about five years behind on Swamp Thing. <laughs> I am all the years behind on Swamp Thing. Uh, there is the School of the Archmage. Some of these Archmages are powerful sorcerers whom have managed to transcend enchanted objects and are now magical beings themselves. Uh, while others are higher beings of magic that fell, fell from being even higher up into being mortal Dem- beings. Demo- demoted to mortal. But still can tap into that. They kind of exist between immortal and godhood. Or immortal and godhood, not immortal. Uh, The current most powerful of these is the Phantom Stranger, who is higher and fell down. And actually, in some versions, it's the other way, because in some versions, he was Judas. Right, right. I don't like that. The current incarnation was higher and fell down. Is Okay, out of curiosity, is this the thing that. Oliver Queen turns into in the... Uh... No, that's... Uh, he turns into Spectre. Which is okay. what comes up next! So you have the School of Judges, which is the most powerful of all the classifications in schools of magic users. They're also amongst the most powerful forces of all creation. Judges are given powers by the Presence, and are extremely powerful and be, can be apocalyptic if allowed to reign freely. As such, they're limited to tasks set by the Presence. The Spectre is currently considered to be the most powerful of them. And it would also include things like Calypso. Eclipso. Or Eclipso. Yeah. Uh, it was right in front of me, too. Those are both heavily <laughs> implied... Good, good genre of music. Although in some versions, openly, Archangels are often examples. Uh, for example, the Spectre is the spirit of God's vengeance. Eclipso, before they went nuts and ran off, was the spirit of God's wrath. So would, like, Lucifer then fall in this category, then, too? Like, Lucifer Morningstar... Or the first he, of the fallen? He, 
either would be a they would either fall in this category or kind of their own unique one of more like a god. They're more akin to a guardian. A god or a demon. Oh, I could see that too. Because they also tend to kind of be draw power from the plane that they're from. In their case, hell. Yeah. Uh, just real quick on the difference between like vengeance and wrath, because the the power levels range very wildly. Uh, the specter might be the one to like part the Red Sea or do the reign of frogs. Eclipso was the one that went and killed every firstborn. In you know, let my people go, mm-hmm. kind of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eclipso is bad. Specter will turn someone into a pillar of salt, but isn't necessarily. Spectre ain't good. Spectre ain't bad either. They're just scary. Okay. And I'm not completely caught up on some of the storylines. Some of the storylines are literally affecting the fabric because magic is more tightly woven into the fabric of the DC universe is kind of literally being affected right now because they are attacking some of the pillars of magic and destroying realms and shit currently. So. Oh, wild. Uh, is there anything else left that we want to cover? And I promise most of these episodes are way more, like, focused. focused. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> these are... I, I, I've listened to the previous seasons. <laughs> Do we have anything else to dive into before seasons. we... Same. Not that I can think of. Any last questions before we go to Books of Magic? Um, now. Okay. Take a quick break, and when we get back, we will discuss... Not Neil Gaiman's magnum opus, but, like, it's pretty high up there. Okay, so, Books of Magic by Neil Gaiman, and God, there's a different artist for each one. So, John Bolton, Scott Hampton, Charles Bess, and Paul Johnson is the story of Timothy Hunter, who will probably also get a book of his own, who has the potential to be the most powerful sorcerer of his generation. Even more than Constantine, even more than Zatanna. Incredible levels of power. The four... Great magic users of this era get together. They dub the uh, John Constantine dubs them the Trenchcoat Brigade to show them, show him the route of magic and whether he wants to take this route. Uh, I will say, this book does predate Harry Potter, and actually, a lot of people accused them of just robbing books of magic. Both J.K. Rowling and Gaiman have denied that being a thing. Gaiman being like, no, man, we were just borrowing from the exact same, you know, British mythology and legend storytelling devices. But it is about a tousled-haired, dark-haired kid with glasses and a pet owl. So I get get it. it. (laughs) I see the parallels. I prefer Neil Gaiman as a creator. Oh, yeah. So that's where I'm just going to stop that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) If you need to know why, you can Google that yourself. <laughs> so, this book is separated into four books, and we decided to just kind of talk about each book individually a little bit. Uh, in the first one, Phantom Stranger takes Tim to the past, and discusses origins of magic, stuff like that. I guess, thoughts, gentlemen? I'm a sucker for Arthurian t- tales, so getting to see Merlin was very rad. Um, and I... I really kind of enjoyed the narrative they set up for Merlin of basically knowing his full destiny and still choosing it anyway. 
I've always kind of liked the idea of people who are aware of their future, people who can see the future but have no ability to truly change it. Yeah. But also, I like how they, I feel like they, he's, it feels like they're implying that he has a choice in the matter, but he can't choose differently, if that makes sense. To me, it felt like my understanding of it was that the way I was at least parsing it is that like he could go off this path if he wanted to, but like he simply is choosing it because he understands it as right, or even or necessary. Not even right, but necessary. Like it's the path he has to take. Except he talks about like, oh, I could make this work. I could if I would just bother, but instead, I'm gonna get too busy trying to get into Nimue's pants. Also, that's just, I guess, a relatable uh, reasoning for uh, <laughs> doing things. I, I could. I could make this work. Or I could try and sleep with the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You could try both. You'll probably fail. I'm just a sucker for the little, like, Jason Blood cameo. <laughs> it's interesting. In this one, he seems to know Jason... From a really early age. While later on, yeah. other versions of it, he's much more... Uh, Jason's one of the, the knights of the round table, which would imply they don't know each other from mm -hmm. childhood. I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that when they showed Atlantis... We do get weird Atlantean magic lady who's been alive for millions of years. I was surprised we didn't get Arion. Oh, who yeah. Who is a major character in magic stories, even though for the last 20 to 30 years he hasn't done much, he just kind of shows up being like, I'm Arion. I'm from ancient Atlantis, and I'm super powerful. Everyone's like, okay. I like that approach. <laughs> um, uh, that reminds me of what the thing I was thinking of from mm -hmm. earlier that I really, really loved was actually her description of Atlantis and basically about how humanity gets it wrong by their time. Um, what was it? I have it right in front of me. Atlantis uh, having a quantifiable existence, which of course it, it basically, it being a concept that has existed and will exist and will exist again and mm. has existed in mm -hmm. multiple iterations, um, even though it is still, like we're, we're just, pre like we have such a narrow scope that we only understand it as that Mm -hmm. as the lost continent, yeah. as a very concrete place rather than... And a nebulous idea that can... Like Atlantis being kind of a renaissance. Yes. DC doesn't really continue that with Atlantis, but they do kind of just transfer that idea over to Camelot. And, I mean, there's a series that we will read at least part of where we meet people who, from different versions of Camelot, they were like, I'm there when Camelot fell. And they're like, no, you weren't. I was there. Uh, so I kind of wonder, I think you could still make it work, of just the word for it changed. We stopped calling it Atlantis, and it just became Camelot. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like this idea, especially, too, because, mm -hmm. like, you can just hot-swap names. Camelot, Atlantis, um third example my brain can't come up with there is something appealing to me about cyclical stories of like this has happened this will happen again this is happening now it's really sad and tragic but i do love the woodcut sequence showing um turning turning to magic 
as a result of already being persecuted for being weird and other and different rather than that persecution happening as the people were claiming because they were already magic. Accused of being a witch, so you actually become a witch, Mm -hmm. so you get killed for being a witch. Well, you're already getting killed for being a witch, uh-huh. even though you're just different. So you're like, screw it. I'm going to go get some actual power. I'll just become a witch. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to burn me to death, so I might as well, like, you know, do stuff about it. I like, and this is a very Neil Gaiman thing. They tell that story in eight panels. Yeah. Twelve, if you count some of the, like, weird background stuff. And I honestly, there's a couple different ways you could take this story and none of them turn out happy or well for anybody. Stranger, and I think this is a very British thing, and I think this is a very Neil Gaiman thing, of magic is sad. And and Stranger, I think, was very determined to make sure that Tim Hunter understood that before he went further. I think that's my favorite cost of magic. Is that you're not or at least my, the version of a cost of magic that I enjoy seeing the most of like the emotional the emotional weight of doing magic and the inability to sometimes fix things on an emotional level mm-hmm. with magic. It's difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From here, we kind of skip forward to. It's not my favorite area of the book, but it does include characters I like quite a bit. We see Dr. Fate here very briefly. In one of the better illustrations of the book, we see Zatara, so not, yeah, Zatara, father of Zatanna. I kind of love the Fate, the Fate bit reminds me, but he's not the only character that this gets done to. Gaiman really goes to show how some of these characters are extremely, very extreme in their beliefs. But how magic still is kind of what they believe it to be when it's around them. Mm-hmm. Makes it true. Mm-hmm. It's because every... the One of the confusing things about the books of magic is that everybody's viewpoint on magic in the books of magic is true. None of it's refuted. Uh-huh. Just their own extremeness is refuted well and even most of the people who are like no don't do it it's not worth the cost continue to spend that cost constantly Mm -hmm. which i mean they kind of warn you once you're in you're in which yeah (laughs) i i both love that how that works in this book but i i forking hate that (laughs) i the thing about it is show that to a 12-year-old kid and expect him to say no. Right. Like, I'm going to show you everything so you understand to make an informed decision. But the more they talk, the more he's saying, less likely is to say no. It doesn't... Like, you basically can... Like, you only can get away with this situation of saying, magic exists and the cost is very high, but it's very cool too. Do you want it? They're like, 12. They don't understand, like next week very well i'm 33 and i have trouble understanding next week sometimes oh i'm yeah no same Mm -hmm. boat i don't think there's a morally ethical way to introduce magic to a child without um (laughs) i feel like they should have waited maybe let them grow a little bit Uh uh-huh 
Cold Flame was after him. Yeah, that's true. There were people who were straight up going to murder and or induct him into a cult. Like, okay, so kidnap of... him and use your magics to keep him <laughs> safe till he's older. Whatever. <laughs> or like he might pick up a clue there. Or, um, but or I get what you're saying. Kill all of the Cold Flame. Kill the people Which trying to they kind of do uh, kill a lot off of them panel. off panel. Yeah. <laughs> Which like, is hilarious. They go to war and set off ripple effects throughout the entire magical world in this book. Uh, why didn't you do that before you involved him in this mess? <laughs> like, that's what you were trying to stop? You just went and did it? So, before we... I mean, that's pretty much in book two. Do we have any last thoughts on book one with uh, Zatara and Sargon and that entirely little scene? Zatara fascinates me because he's straight up just a dude in a tuxedo who fights crime with magic? They're making them a lot more important in some of these recent ones. It's true. They've done a lot. But, I mean, even in... There have been stories where Zatara's ghost straight up made fun of himself for being like... Wait. I was not great. Just because uh, we're talking about magic here to himself? Or, like, he is a ghost? There's a book And he's called- just joking about, hey, look at how dumb I was. Or is he, like, a ghost talking to a version of himself? Like, hey, look at how dumb you are. It's a ghost talking to someone else. There's a book called Starman. We're not going to get to it because he's not magic-based, but it is one of the best books DC's ever put out. Um, but do during this run, the main character, Starman, will have dreams where he talks to people who have died, usually his older brother who was Starman before him. But there's one where he has a dinner with superheroes who have died. And most of them are not big name superheroes. You know, it's not Dr. Fate, but it is like Mr. Terrific and Zatara and the Red Bee. Mm. And like, let's learn some lessons from this. And Zatara's was kind of like, I wasn't that great, but also like I did save the world a few times. Like it, it, it's, I don't know. It's a really interesting book that I, so hard to explain. But yeah, Zatara being like, I, I wasn't that great of a hero. And then people being like, you still were pretty awesome, though. I mean, you did step up to the plate. Yeah, which was kind mm-hmm. of the point of that storyline. of Like, it doesn't matter if you're Superman. It matters that you step up. And Zatara got really screwed over for stepping up. I get the sense that Sargon did, too. But I would admittedly have to look more into Sargon to know what happened to him there. I oh um, in some versions he gets murdered by his daughter, but I thought I thought they both died probably F fighting the darkness with uh, Constantine and Swamp Thing. I've not read that run you have, so I'm gonna trust you. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I know that's when Zatara dies for sure, but I want to say two people at that table died in that comic and I, the other one was probably Sargon. Well, no one was doing anything with him because he's Sargon. It's Like, I like him because I'm a sucker for bad characters, but he's a white dude in a turban with the ruby of life. Like, mm-hmm. He's him a little problematic in most versions. I see more than a little, but... The ruby of life, uh, now in the current continuity, being endowed with some of Mordry's power. Oh, cool. That I like. All right, book two. My voice cracked there. And on to my favorite guide. Uh, Constantine? Heck yeah. John Constantine? <laughs> We're going to do that whole season. You know, Constantine. 
So this one's a lot of fun because it does use a lot of the characters who are actively involved. This is probably my favorite section of the book. Hands down, yeah. Because I'm a fan of Zatanna, as we've covered. I'm a fan of Dead Man. I do find it interesting, we never see Dead Man here. Right. We see him possessing people, but we never see Boston Brand, Boston Brand what he looks like. Which is kind of a bummer, because it's silly, but it I love the costume. It off, in all honesty. I can see that. I can see why that would be really frustrating. It does depict how most of the world sees it, though. It is yeah. a little confusing in a lot of Dead Man comics, because no one can see Dead Man. They can sometimes talk to him. Batman has a ghost detector, so he knows when Boston shows up, because they're surprisingly close allies. But, like... And Tim definitely hasn't been trained enough. Uh-huh. And so since the, we're kind of following Tim, it makes sense we don't get to see him other times. Zatanna probably... I don't know if Constantine could see him or not. It felt like they were implying that he is disappearing before Constantine shows up. Yeah. But, like, I mean, if it came up, there. if he would just be able to be like, oh, look, it's Dead Man. Um, I do love... The I feel like he would... He would let Boston keep it secret unless there was some reason for him to call him out be like yo I see you over in the corner right now bro <laughs> there's there's a line in this of like famous last words mine were hey it looks like that guy with a hook has a rifle that's an actual line from his original appearance when he gets murdered that's amazing <laughs> he gets killed by a guy with a hook and a rifle yeah while on a trapeze not the guy with the hook and the rifle. He's on the trapeze. Oh. He was a circus performer who was like, hey, that guy looks... And he gets, you know, Dick Grayson's parents dead. <laughs> um, and comes back as a ghost. I, well, he is a ghost, so we might cover him this season. Um, 100% will. But uh, do we find? Do we know why? Is there a reason that guy with the hook hand is shooting him with the rifle? There is, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Okay, cool. We should, we should start writing down these weird questions. What I like about Boston uh, is that he gets all the abilities that he had in life, no matter what body he's in. So he could possess an 80-year-old you know, like heavyweight woman and would have all of the abilities he had as one of the best circus performers in the world at the moment that he died. Cool. So he'll start just doing backflips and stuff. Oh, uh, is that hard on that person's I, body? I have had that thought every time of how many people had a heart attack after, like... Because I am a... I am, uh, for the listeners out there, I am a six-foot-four large human. Um, my knees and joints, they hurt. <laughs> just from walking? Just from existing. So, like, if, uh, if, uh, if a... If, if a ghost possessed me and started trapezing me about, I don't know how good I would feel after that, especially if they fought crime in my body. Mm -hmm. um, this is one that's bugging me enough that I'm going to try to see if I can't find an answer real quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the meantime, while you're looking that up, we are introduced to I, Vampire, and Jason Blood. I am disappointed that we never see the demon etch again, for real. Right. Because Jason Blood, fine, whatever, but... Be gone, be gone, the form of man, and rise the demon Etrigan, who I do love. He was created by Jack Kirby because magic books were popular at the time. And he's like, I don't want to, but fine. And then it got I'll really popular. rhyme. And then it got really popular, and he's like, oh, no, oh, come on. I guess I wanted to do not Etrigan. Uh, I, Vampire, was 
He might have been a narrator character. He might not have. I don't remember for sure. Although the way Constantine talks here, it sure sounds like he was. Like, he lives in the past. Literally. He's pretty much, from what I remember, in was created in response to uh, Dracula books selling really well in Marvel at the time. He is extremely forgettable. Probably the biggest appearance he ever had was in the New 52. They launched an eye vampire book where instead of old-timey Victorian clothing, it was half-naked in leather pants, Twilight-style or Anne Rice-style vampires. It was popular. I didn't like it very much, but that's me. Uh, interject an update. I was not able to find an answer, though I now know why he was killed. Oh, that's good. <laughs> as part of an elaborate initiation ritual for that killer trying to join a group of assassin cultists uh, dedicated to, a, to I believe, the same god that brought back Dead Man. So, like, a bingo card type thing, or is he, like... We'll like get into like it a, more later, but that's the... Okay. It, was an, it was an initiation. Okay. That also that gives me more questions, I guess. We'll have answers later. Okay. Any part of this section in particular stick out to you? I'm trying not to do just. Well, I love I love Zatanna. Zatanna's bit in here and her taking him to this nightclub filled with demons and magical entities. Is kind very... of a prototype of what the Oblivion Bar will become mm-hmm. later. Um, this has always been one of my favorite segments in all of the books of magic. Uh, partially because I am just a giant Constantine fan anyway, but I love the idea of Constantine's lesson to to uh, Tim Hunter kind of being magic is also kind of just what you can get people around you to believe. Mm-hmm. This was an ongoing thing. At this point, they've just straight up, Constantine is a magician. He's a super powerful one. But for a long time, it was, at least as I understood it, and you've read more Constantine than me, a little unclear if he was actually a practicing magician or not. When did this come out? Uh, 91. Oh, 91. So he actually hasn't... Wow, this is he as hasn't old really, as me. Um, in 91, I don't know if he's really out and out spell singing yet. Mm-hmm. He's still... V- a lot more in the the John Con. From a storytelling perspective, I understand why it's this way now. I still find it kind of disappointing because I always really, I've always really enjoyed uh, just a random dude kind of just slipping his way through. Mm-hmm. This is still decently early for Constantine, so he is not performing outright magic. He's in within the his first yet. decade of existence, yeah. at the least. Yeah. Uh, who who is Doctor Terry uh, Terry Thirteen? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we were hoping you'd ask about him. Terrence Thirteen. We had a. We, I mean, we had to clarify this between ourselves. Just a yesterday, the yeah. story that I was just like, okay, who the who the fork is this guy? <laughs> so, Doctor Terrence Thirteen, actually, one of my favorite miniseries I think ever produced was is about Doctor Thirteen. And his daughter, Doctor Thirteen, absolutely does not believe in magic, and he kind of existed as a Scooby Doo style thing, except not with a bunch of zany kids and a dog. About he would go around disproving stuff, but it turns out his daughter is uh, Tracy Thirteen is one hundred percent a magician. 
So, and as Constantine talks about, it's true. Magic does not exist for Doctor Thirteen because he doesn't believe in it. He does not believe in it. He on doesn't a level that no one else. He can. He doesn't believe in it so hard it does not exist. Yeah, he could basically disprove Doctor Fate in his own world. He legit hangs out with. Like, it's implied at one point that he hangs out with Dr. Not Dr. Detective Chimp for years, convinced that Detective Chimp is a hoax. It's a guy in a mask. <laughs> it's a drunk in a mask. Wait, is this the same chimp who's drinking? I don't know. Yeah. Yes. yes. I wasn't certain. It seems like there was a possibility of a When Detective Chimp was first created, he was not a drunk. And then when he was reintroduced about 15 years ago, they went, what if we made him a drunk chimpanzee? And everyone went, yep, that, that forever. I mean, every iteration of a drunk uh, of a chimp drinking is always funny to me. Although, in retrospect, it's probably bad for chimps. It's probably sad. Yeah. Did you have you? But he's magic, so it's fine. Do you know why he's drunk all the time? Because they explained it. Oh, it, did he see something he shouldn't see, and now he needs to blot it out? No, that'd be my he, guess. He's so hyper intelligent that it helps him to focus. He, he at one point has to go to try to read a spell, and they're like, "He's like, you have to give me some more mead." And they're like, you are crazy. And he's <laughs> like, no, imagine looking at a word and remembering every time you have read that word. Oh. Oh, no. He's the greatest detective in the world. Like, he he beats Batman. The only reason he doesn't is because he drinks so much to make sure. He literally needs to dull his edge. Yeah. It's too sharp. Mm-hmm. Feel like weed would be a better choice there, but that's a discussion for. Although podcast. apparently it can get you into the Olympics. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> current current, current t- top of news. Uh, um, do you know who Tanarak is? He's one of the names I didn't really recognize. I do not. That's he's, one that I would have had to look up to. He's running the bar there. We see the wizard, who is a character I like quite a bit. Felix Faust, who is a character I very much don't like, but you're not supposed to like Felix Faust. Right. That name sounds familiar. Uh, he appears a lot in the Justice League cartoon if you watched that as a kid. I did, so thank you. That's where I've heard that it. That kind of purple magician mm-hmm. guy? Yeah, got it. There's nothing wrong with... Well, actually, no, there's a lot of things wrong with Faust. There's nothing but wrong there, with Faust as a character, but, like, <laughs> he's just one of the less interesting evil sorcerers to me. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, the wizard appeals to me more, even though he is the laziest version possible. Um, completely tangentially unrelated, but uh, is Southern Comfort good, and why does this kid want it? Because he's Soko's, probably never been allowed it before. Soko's all right, but I thought it was a weird choice. Is this like a, the, a kid not knowing what to drink, so he just knows what is alcohol? And, and wants one, to see knows, a lot of knows booze, one yeah. alcohol and is like, I will, get the, I will get the alcohol, please. What is Soko again? Like, I know it's whiskey and... Uh, peach. Oh. Oh, gross. It's okay. I've had it. It's good with it's real good with seven up. I could see that. I'm more a Jack and Coke person if I'm gonna be drinking whiskey, but OJ all day, baby. Give me a screwdriver. That's vodka. I know, with orange juice. (laughs) Sorry, I was thinking of whiskey specifically. OJ and whiskey sounds awful. Uh yeah, no, that sounds bad. No, thank you. Moving us right along. uh, I do really love the uh, contents con. Constantine's uh, gambit at the end of, like, do you want to try me? Everyone's like, nope. <laughs> sure don't. I don't want to fork well, around and find and out. And at this point, everyone thinks that he's 
just a guy, but he's just a guy that has lived in this world and won. Even that alone is scary. And then also, Zatanna, like, when she says, I could have taken them, that's not boasting. Yeah. The thing about Constantine is that he, everyone knows who he's made enemies of, and he's still around. And he goes and talks to these people that are his enemies, and he comes back, still around, and they don't know why, and it scares them a lot. It's, uh, yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> I, I wouldn't try and fight John Constantine. I think that brings us to book three. Uh, which was my favorite book in all I know honesty. you mentioned this a lot. This is, this is Neil Gaiman doing what Neil Gaiman does best, taking myths and legends and uh, kind of fairy stuff. I mean, using Baba Yaga directly, using uh, one of the fairy queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fairy gate, the fairy gate stuff was super gorgeous. I loved the whole like turn around and then he just sees this beautiful like ocean of abyss. Um, and then I was very much in love with the, like the rules and order of the fairy, uh, fairy kingdom or fairy. This is very much, I think he wrote Stardust after this. Oh, Totoro's. But I would not be surprised at all if he like wrote this and went, that was fun. I should do an entire book off that. And Stardust came out of it because the, I mean, the market scene could be that exact same bit. I forgot he did Stardust. That's going to be a conversation mm -hmm. with someone else that I had a conversation about Neil Gaiman with this week. Um, sorry, unrelated. Also, did you all notice that there's little little, little Totoro's hanging up in the market scene? I did not, but that tracks. That does track. Oh, yep, there it is. You're right. That's just, there's that's not even a like. Oh, it's something. Like, those are just Totoro's. And then the witch iconography next to it kind of reminds me of the um, sign from Kiki's Delivery Service, but I could be wrong on that. Well, and um, you might. Down in the bottom right corner, that is Puck, as illustrated in uh, The Dream Country from Sandman, uh, from in a Summer Night's Dream. Oh, interesting. As well as in the mirror, that's how uh, Oberon looked in A Midsummer Night's Dream. That is very cool. Now I'm just looking through this moment, seeing who else I can... Seeing if there's anyone else I can identify. Uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream also being the only comic to ever world win a World Fantasy Award. Oh, interesting. Wow. Um, I do like Dr. Occult and Rose Psychic here. I think this is the first time that it shows them merged in comics, but they stay like that. Dr. Occult, I want to say, was created by one of the creators of Superman as well, and this is by far the most interesting thing to ever happen with him because he is... Very boring on his own. He wears a trench coat. His name is Dr. Occult. He fights the occult. Bam. Done. I might have said that the last book was my favorite, but it doesn't work as well without this one. Because this... Uh, Rose ends up giving the other part of Constantine's lesson. Whereas his was a pure bluff, she shows that bluffs don't work unless sometimes... You are holding the cards. Yeah, you have to. You have to be playing the game long enough to hold all of the cards to understand that you can bluff sometimes, and when to do it correctly. Well, and Constantine shows him magic in our world, but to, to get that magic in our world, you sometimes have to go into the other world where mm -hmm. it's it's the rules are completely different. Like 
I do not think Constantine would do well in the realm of fairy. Let's be really honest here. He might. I don't know. You've read more than me, but... He tends to do well. Oh, God. What he's a, he's as good of a liar as they are. He tends That's to just true. do well, even when he's doing poorly. Even when he shouldn't, yeah. Um, I now would love to see just an, an arc of Constantine in the in, so, in fairy. Especially during this time period, for basically his first 200 issues, he almost does no magic and is only a con artist. So that fits in very well in the, well in the realm of fairy. Getting people to agree to things is what he does. I do really enjoy the moments after he's after Timothy is given the key and we're shown these different worlds. Because here we see uh, Scar Tarsus and the Warlord up on, you know, the mostly naked guy with the winged <laughs> yeah. helmet. Oh, I had a question. Um, who Who is this this Queen of the Fairies? Do we know is in this, in the grand scheme of this, is are they, like, they're clearly like a Queen of the Fairies, I can, I can gather here, but... It's Titania. Okay. I thought it was Titania, but I wasn't 100% sure. Um, once again, because it's Neil writing it, and this t- happens after A Midsummer Night's Dream, she has Hamnet, who was uh, Shakespeare's son. In real life, he had a son named Hamnet, who ended up dying pretty young. And so the, the implication here is that after Titania uh, met Shakespeare in A Midsummer Night's Dream, in The Sandman, that she took on Hamnet as her servant, rather than him actually dying in real life. Interesting. After Warlord, who is literally just called Warlord, like that's just Mm -hmm. his game name, basically, we see the Nightmaster, who will later on take over the Oblivion Bar. I both love and hate the Nightmaster outfits so much. Is this the dude with the red classic? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very of an era. Yeah. It looks I'm like it should be on it. the front of a Conan cover. It looks like, uh, why can't I think of that artist's name? But, uh, I mean, Boris Vallejo would do great out of it, too, mm-hmm. although he's not who I was thinking of. We get a very brief and admittedly kind of ugly illustration of um, Amethyst of Gemworld. I'm sorry. This is a great artist, but that... that Face does not work for me. Uh, yeah, everything else about it works. Very it, cool. Yeah, but the illustration felt, felt like it was just like, well, we don't have time to do anything other than this. We get little bits of hell, and the only real image we get of Etrigan the demon hanging out there with his blue cape and his uh, red booties. Oh wow, I didn't even notice that the first time I read through this. Oh, the little booties. I don't think Naron had existed yet, so Etrigan really was like the big name demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are placed here in the dreaming with. Well, one, Sandman was DC's probably best-selling book at the time, or top five. Mm-hmm. And uh, Neil Gaiman's always had a big fondness for Cain and Abel here, so I'm not surprised at all that those are the two that are emerged here. I'm also unfamiliar with this uh, character that I assume is just Dream. That is Dream. Yeah. Yep. Dream of the Endless. He is... The personification of Dream. He's also the personification of 90s Edge, but, like, 90s Edge done well, as opposed to, like, 90s Edge Lord, which would be uh, most Rob Liefeld creations. He yeah. definitely feels like a uh, like what a lot of people that I've known in my uh, from high school forward to were trying to cultivate a look of. 
Yeah, it was people in high school or early college who either read too much of The Crow or read too much of The Sandman and tried to make this work. And I'm pretty sure that's where uh, My Chemical Romance came from. <laughs> I wouldn't try and refute this, personally. While they're in the dreaming, interesting fact about the dreaming, things that are real, quote-unquote, but that also includes things like the realm of fairy, are, and, you know, things that in modern continuity would just be out in the realm of spheres, are considered to be quote-unquote real because they don't reside in the dreaming. That was quite a sentence right there. (laughs) (laughs) The dreaming is literally the realm of dreams, and by such is imaginary and not real. Okay. (laughs) That, That wrinkles my brain in a way that it's hard to understand, but I think I understand. Dream is pretty much Doctor Strange's villain Nightmare, if Nightmare was interesting. Yes. (laughs) I think that brings us to our last one, which is probably the shortest one to talk about. There's not much going on. Of, uh... The Future with Mr. E. Who's a jerk? Oh, he's the worst. I don't like him. He'd only ever appeared in, like, ten stories before this. They just brought in a random person because Neil Gaiman wanted to make someone just basically a straight-up villain. Uh, he also seems just like borderline slut shaming at a couple points, and I'm like, man, I don't care for your your biz. We get some heavy impressions, you know, where his father, or where he talks about his father cutting his eyes out, and he later gets a mini series and stuff talking about it. Of, uh, he says that his father cut his eyes out because he uh, was looking at a dirty magazine or something like that, and it turns out that no, he found out his evidence of his father being an abuser. So. Mm-hmm jabbed his eyes out, and he repressed a bunch of memories. So, abusive household with a heavily, like, the world is evil, son, conservative, whatever, brought up to combat evil. Mystery did not stand a chance. And honestly, if it wasn't for his name, there'd be nothing good about him. I love his stupid, stupid name. Oh, it's a very, it's the only good part of him, if you ask me. (laughs) He does, I, I also do like his Weird, um, his, uh, his, like, weird white suit trench coat look is, it's a good look for me. It does look, it does work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the, the future court thing. Which one are we, this is past the Legion of Superheroes era, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that was a, such a beautiful spread that took me so long to figure out who they were supposed to be, and then I saw the big, uh, Legionnaires, uh, symbol on the bottom. Well, we've mentioned Mordrew a couple of times, and he's, a, he was originally a Legion character that they were like, he's too strong, we have to bring him into other stories. Um, the next page where we see there's some Dominators in the background, we see Darkseid... Uh, Dominator's the dude with, like, the pointy teeth and the red thing on his forehead. I'm familiar um, with the crossover from uh, the Arrowverse. Oh, I forgot that they were in Arrowverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, was from a huge Legion story called the Great Darkness Saga, which I'm not guaranteeing we're going to read, but there's a chance we will read for this season because it is a very famous crossover book. Uh, Ooh, Future Fate was horrifying. And I love him. He's probably my favorite bit of this section. Did it's some, creepy, but it's, like, mm. very, very cool. Did some of the panels remind you of Grendel? A lot of this book reminds me of Grendel. Because <laughs> uh, Grendel is a great book. Well, I was going to say, the thing with the uh, the attempt on Tim's life, and actually this kind of reminds me of Grendel, too, is it kind of is like the ripple effects of choices. 
he cares very much for the owl through all of this. Yeah. And it comes back to help him in the end. Yeah. But I mean, also, like, he is, uh, by the end, he's happy about it. He was also locked into the realm of choice because of a choice he made at the very beginning. And it all, and how it all just sort of ripples through. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the, the like, post-post-post-human sequence yeah. with the green people. Oh, the green people. I like the, the post where it's... Uh, the court of consciousness, I guess, where it's the the combined energy slash sentience from the leftover universe that created those energy beings that have the jester laughing at them that looks like Constantine. Oh, that stuff was super cool too. Everything about this part is just uncomfortable. Yeah, like it's super good, but it's all just. I partially like that because uh, Andy Diggle kind of runs with that concept later in Hellblazer, but mm-hmm. uh, the all the all the art for that is gorgeous. But that I think that's not the bug. Yeah. Um. Other than other than the very headed choice at the end. Sorry, I just need to touch on this, but like him, Mister E. Oh. Oh, but basically the very very end with the like he's been shown all of this and it's just there's no getting off this path really. He's like, no, and then he's like, actually, yes. And it's cool that he can still do magic, so that's great. But also, like, man, y'all, y'all, you lied. <laughs> I like it in the sense that, like, with Neil being one of the prominent British writers and folk horror coming very much from British uh, writing tradition, uh, most folk horror is as soon as you start to know about the characters in the story, it's already too late for them. Yeah. He had a choice to step on, but he made that choice before he knew on page like three of Mm -hmm. this book. But next time we will be reading actually two things, but by the same author. So it kind of concludes into one. Uh, We will be covering Zatanna Zatara and we will be reading Zatanna by Paul Denny. And then Zatanna Black Canary. I think it's, Blood Ties or something like that. It's a Zatanna and Black Canary miniseries by Paul Denny and Joe Canones uh, that is just lovely. I just adore it. I think you said Blood Ties earlier. Okay. I haven't read it in several years now. It's so good, though. Yeah. Sweet. That's. We'll see you in two weeks. I'm excited. How do we end this? I haven't done one of these in a while. Well, that's all the time we have set hey. aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the daily game of Super Smash Brothers Melee starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M dot com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.